Welcome to Fleet Baptist Church. We hope you enjoy the latest in our teaching series. Um, it's my real joy today um, to continue, uh, actually not even to continue. We're doing sort of standalone things during August. Clive's speaking to us, going through uh, a series called Living in Transition. If you've missed the first part of that, please do go back and watch it. It's really, really good. And he's going to be speaking to us more on that. But for now, um, we are just kind of picking what's on our heart. And so on my heart this morning, um, really coincidentally, is the story of Mary and Martha. And me and Nathan didn't confer. For those of you who tuned in last week, you would have um, seen that Nathan uh, spoke from Luke 10 as well, talking about the Good Samaritan. And then immediately afterwards comes this story, uh, or this kind of this, yeah, this story called Mary and Martha, where Jesus goes and visits these two ladies. Um, and it just so happens that, uh, that we both decided to talk from Luke 10. So let's, let's read, and then we will get on with things. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. Um, she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, why don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. You know, this story is found nowhere else. Luke appears to have placed it in um, out of chronological sequence. We know that right now he's in Bethany, and yet in uh, chapter 17, they're still far off from the capital. And so we kind of have to wonder, why has he placed this story out of sequence? Perhaps to safeguard his readers against thinking, uh, kind of after just coming off the back of the Good Samaritan. Perhaps he's trying to safeguard his readers, kind of going, it's not all of, you know, salvation doesn't come through works. Um, he makes the point that waiting quietly on the Lord is more important than this bustling busyness. I want to suggest that Luke places this story here because one informs the other, that if we want to be like the Good Samaritan, that we have to learn how to act and be like Jesus. And in order to do that, we need to sit at his feet, allow him to teach us and allow him to show us who he is. You know, what Mary was doing by sitting at Jesus' feet was taking her place as Jesus' disciple. Not only saying, would you teach me to be like you, but would you show me who you are? I always feel really sorry for Martha in this story. I think she um, gets a really bad rap. I don't know whether because I'm an older sister, I identify with her, but she, I feel like she's portrayed as this bossy, jealous woman who is, whose only concern is getting tea on the table. But we need to remember, we read in the passage that Martha actually opens her home to Jesus in the first place. She recognises who she is. And the point that she's trying to make is it's not Martha's need for someone to, to peel potatoes. That is, is not actually what she's concerned about. In the Middle Eastern cultural context, uh, Martha's more naturally understood to be upset over the fact that her little sister, her little sister, the one that she is to protect, to look after, that she is seated with the men and has become a disciple of Rabbi Jesus. And it's not difficult to imagine what's going through Martha's mind. In all likelihood, she is thinking, oh my word, this is disgraceful, what's going to happen to us? My sister has joined this band of men, what will the neighbours say, what will my family think? 
after people see this, will, who will marry her? That might seem trivial to us now, but in, the, in this culture, cultural context, it's important. And so all these things are running through her mind. And it's, she's not actually even not only thinking about what other people are going to think, but she's also going, Jesus, I'm giving my best to you. Can you not see what I'm doing for you? Can you not see that I'm making the best meal that I possibly could? You know, the, the reason that she's still prepping is because she's going way out there. She's put, laying on the best feast that she can for Jesus. The text implies that Mary has actually already helped her, um, already done her duty by doing, so my sister's left me in the kitchen. Mary's already done her duty, already, already done her part, but Martha's still going. And you know, it's like she's going to Jesus, can you not see, can you not see one, what the impact of this is going to be on us as a family? But also, can you not see that I'm doing things for you? I'm doing my best for you, Jesus. But Martha misses the point. You see, it's not about what we do for Jesus. It's about being with Jesus. Martha, despite opening her home to Jesus in the first place, had been distracted, drawn away by her burdens. And so what Jesus does is he replies not to her words, but to their meaning. And so in this context, his answer communicates the following. Martha Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. I understand the entire list, but one thing is needed. What is missing is not one more plate of food, but rather for you to understand that I am providing the meal and that your sister has already chosen the good portion. I will not allow you to take it from her. A good student is more important to me than a good meal. You know, how often do we get caught up in misunderstanding? We get obsessed with doing things for over being with. You know, I remember growing up, um, I grew up in a Pentecostal church, and we were constantly reminded that Jesus was coming back again. And I always remember being like, I don't want Jesus to come back again because I haven't done anything for him yet. I haven't done enough for him yet. I haven't, like, earned my stripes as a Christian. And I, I can't believe how wrong I was. And even now, still, sometimes I think that way. But I'm so wrong. I'm so far from the point because the point is not how much can we do for him. It's just being with him. You know, um, I learned to think uh, in college that um, it's a little analogy. I'm gonna do, we're going we're gonna to have a bit of fun this morning. So, um, but my, my lecturer at college uh, called Mag, she's an awesome woman, and she taught me, she taught me this. And so um, if you kind of go with me, it's a really simple analogy, but we're going to go with it. So we're actually going to do some interactive camera work. So let's see if this works. So essentially, here we are. Isn't that fun? So Amy's God. Welcome to Welcome God. There you go. Um, but so essentially what we do as Christians is we spend our lives kind of going, we're doing so many things for you, Jesus. And what we do is we ignore the fact that there is a seat open ready for us. And what we do is we spend our lives running around doing things for him and kind of checking in with Jesus every so often, but kind of not ever paying attention. And all Jesus wants is for us to sit down with him and look him face to face. And it's in that face-to-face that, that we get changed, that we learn about him. And what we do instead is we get up and we walk around and we don't ever sit down because we're like, we're doing so busy doing things for him that we don't ever take the time to sit with him. You know, it's in the face 
to face when we just be rather than do, that everything makes sense. You know, if your love language is acts of service, I think you're going to struggle with this one because I think somehow we as Christians have got into the idea that um, acts of service is the premium way to show that we love Jesus. And I just want to suggest that all he wants is to spend time with us. He just wants to get to know us and he wants us to get to know him because spending time with him affects everything. It affects everything. You know, we can see from Mary the difference that time with Jesus made. Um, I want to take us to John 11, where uh, Mary and Martha's brother Lazarus dies and, and, and comes back to life again. And what we see is two totally different reactions. They say the same words. It's really interesting, actually. Both Mary and Martha, in the midst of Lazarus is dead and, and Jesus comes And they both say to him, Lord, if you would have been here, my brother would not have died. But their inflection is different, and it says two very different things. Martha says, if if, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. It's my possession that I've lost here. You have stolen something from me. You've taken something from me. If you had been here, this wouldn't have been gone. Mary says, my brother. It's actually about Lazarus' life that has ended too soon. Why do I think there's a difference? Because I think Mary had seen things from God's perspective because she'd spent time at his feet. We see uh, later on in the story when, when Jesus says, open the tomb, it's Martha who protests, it's Mary who stays quiet. Why? Because if you know the nature of God, you do not question his motives. When we know God's nature, when we know what he's, what, what he's like, we don't question when things seem a little bit out of the ordinary because we have trust enough to know that his nature is good. If you go on to the next chapter in John 12, we see that Mary, yet again, gets it. What she does is in this story, she breaks the nod over Jesus' feet you know, it's another, it's, it's the same situation that we see in Luke 10, that it's, uh, you know, that, that Mary, Martha's still in the kitchen serving, Lazarus is reclining next to Jesus, but Mary gets it's time to get up and worship. You know, and in doing that, she's saying three things. She's saying, Jesus, you're my king. Nard was used, um, uh, in, kind of really was only afforded in royal places, imported from far off India. It's also, if we look at Song of Songs, um, it's when, when the bride expresses her love for King Solomon, it's, it says this, it says, when the king was at his table, my nard spread its fragrance. And so whether consciously or unconsciously, Mary reenacts that scene for all to smell. She's also saying that Jesus is my saviour. She's copying this similar, we see in Luke 7, she copies this similar act of the prostitute breaking open the perfume on the feet. And Jesus responds to this sinful woman's tears by declaring to all the dinner guests that her many sins have been forgiven. And so now Mary, who isn't a prostitute, who hasn't lived a life full of sin, but she does the same thing. She actually loosens her hair. Like, um, like, honestly, that's such a bold thing to do. You never loosened your hair in public. But she's making a confession, which is, Lord, I know that I need you. I know that I need you to be my saviour. And finally, she's admitting that he needs to die. Jews anointed corpses with perfume before they buried him. And Mary does the same. A wise man brings a myrrh at his birth to prophesy he was being born to die. And Mary breaks the nard 
on his feet to prophesy that the time had come for this to happen. Why does Mary do all of this? Because she spent time at his feet and she knew Jesus. She'd heard him, she'd been taught by him. The disciples hadn't got it, but Mary had. Martha hadn't got it, but Mary had. You know, one of the things that um, has really struck me is that that was extravagant worship and extravagant action. And in order to do those things, it requires a confidence that such actions will be received well by the intended recipient because she spent time at his feet. She was confident that he would be pleased. She was confident in how he'd react. Mary had got it all because she spent time at his feet. You know, we have been created to be human beings, not human doings. And I think we've forgotten how to just be with God. I read this on Instagram this week, and it's a really simple quote, and it's um, a, a kind of post, actually. It's by uh, my friend uh, who was just actually telling a really mundane story of how he takes his daughter for a walk every day. But he finished it um, like this, and it really caught my attention. He said... Um, I've been comforted by the thought recently that if I do nothing else with my life of noted merit or external recognition, then I'll always have been a father to my daughter. Just really simple words, but I think he's understood that being sometimes is even greater than just doing. To just be, to just be with Jesus. Honestly, it's the best thing you will do. Greater than anything you'll ever do is just spend time with him. Just be with him. David writes this in Psalm 27. Here is one thing I crave from God, the one thing I seek above all else. I want the privilege of living with him every moment in his house, finding the sweet loveliness of his face, filled with awe, delighting in his glory and grace. I want to live my life so close to him that he takes pleasure in my every prayer. Isn't that our heart's desire? Isn't that all we need? You know, I always remember uh, Mike Pilavachi saying this many times at Soul Survivors over the years, but Jesus has got many servants, but not many friends. And I think Jesus is desperate for us to just sit with him and grow in friendship with him, to grow in understanding of who he is. Martha opened her home to Jesus. She knew he was the Messiah. She hadn't she hadn't misunderstood who he was, but she just didn't get to know him in the way that was on offer. Mary did and got to know his nature, didn't question his motives and was confident to be extravagant in her actions. Time at his feet is always greater than being distracted by the many things that we think are important. Mary chose the best thing and the question today, as is every day, is will you choose the best thing? Will you choose to sit at his feet?